It's Monday, June 30th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool One, Jason Moser, and from Stock Advisor Canada, Taylor Muckerman. Happy Monday, gents. Good you too. To you. Good weekends? Everybody had a good weekend? Great weekend. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's so funny. When the weekend's finished and I come in here on Monday, I literally have to stretch to try to remember exactly what I did even. But we were out at uh, Burke Lake Park all day yesterday. Very nice. Very yeah, nice. I like great, that area. Great weather. rowboats and yeah. tootle around on the lake. It was a good time. So you're rocking the soccer jersey today, Taylor. Were you taking in some World Cup action over the weekend? I did, yeah. Um, one one game a day. I try to limit myself a little bit, yeah, so I have to be selective. We it went was too to nice dinner. outside to watch both. <laughs> we were at dinner last night uh, after the park, and we saw the conclusion of that Costa Rica-Greece game that was pretty intense. Yeah, kicks uh, yeah I can't wow. believe they played 60 minutes with 10 men. Incredible. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, before we start, I should give a shout-out to Dan Boyd and Bill Barker, who on last Thursday's Market foolery at the conclusion. When I pressed them, they both said the U.S. will advance, wow. and they did. And so I guess we gear up for Tuesday afternoon when yep. U.S. faces off against Germany, uh, Belgium. Excuse Battle me. of the Bulge Part Two. Exactly. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk Facebook. We're going to talk about the beer industry. But let's start with the market in general because today is we're at the halfway mark. It's the last trading day of the first half of 2014. So far, year-to-date, the Dow up nearly 2%, the NASDAQ up about 5%, the S&P 500 up about 6%. And as I said to each of you individually this morning, I'm thrilled with this. Because back in January, coming off of 2013, the market up 30%, I thought this year is going to be maybe not terrible, but I just thought we were due for a down year, and we may still end up that way. But, Taylor, the first half of the year has turned out pretty good, particularly when you consider the weather that we had over the winter and pretty much everyone's earnings coming out of the first calendar quarter of 2014 got hit as a result of it. Yeah, that's all but forgotten now, I guess. I mean, the market keeps reaching new highs, not just here, but in Canada as well, where we're covering that. They reached their peak again after six years since 2008, the last peak that they had. So North America's clicking along, and investors are probably only mad if they took money out of the market to start 2014, because uh, I think it's really, I don't know the numbers of how many stocks are up for the year, but I can imagine that it's the vast majority, just because this market has been running quite well, especially over the last month or so. Yeah, I mean, I think that given last year's performance, I think you have to look at this year's uh, market conditions thus far, at least as nice and healthy. I mean, you know, if it was up like another 20 or 30 percent, then I think we'd all be, uh, you know, a little bit more concerned. I I think the, the concern, you know, out in the media today is somewhat tempered because the market is, I mean, it's chugging along nicely, but it's not doing anything terribly irrational. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think if you sold in May and went away, you're probably. You know, kind of thinking, wow, I wish I didn't do that. I mean, the market's about four yeah. percent, I think, since May first. So that's you know, it, it all kind of you know boils back down to the the companies in which you invest. But uh, you know, I think there are going forward. I mean, I think there the things we want to keep an eye out on. Uh, we saw recently with Nike's earnings uh, report, and you know, a couple of the of the restaurant reports out there, you're seeing some producer costs going up a little bit. Uh, inflation seems to be in check right now, but I think that's going to be one of the things to really keep an eye on. It's just uh, input costs for a lot of these companies, uh, these consumer-facing companies, particularly over the course of the next uh, couple of quarters, because that's something that can certainly uh, crimp profitability. And, and we saw over the past few years, uh, these companies were, uh, you know, meeting their earnings targets and, and really boosting that earnings growth by really whittling down their cost structure. And you can only do that so long until you've pretty much, you know, maximized. 
uh, whittling that cost structure down, and I think they probably about hit that point. So I think that would probably be the biggest uh, thing to keep your eye on here for the next couple of quarters. Yeah, margins tend to be mean reverting, and they're definitely well above the mean now. So see if there's a pullback because, like you said, they're probably reaching their their peak capabilities as far as cost cutting, and then uh, especially on the retail, the food side. Beef prices haven't been this high in a long time, and and coffee, Starbucks and its competitors haven't been hit yet. But if prices stay the way they are, um, I think it's only a matter of time before you see some big names um, start to realize that this just can't keep going forever. I ran through the numbers where each of the major indices in the U.S. uh, is at this moment, and yet if we were having this conversation maybe six weeks ago, I think what we'd be talking about, if I have my timing right, is how, boy, the Dow's really getting it done, and the NASDAQ is the one that's suffering, or certainly trailing, of the three. And to your point, Jason, when you look at the valuation of some of these stocks, we really did see, I mean, if we're writing the story of what happened in the first six months of 2014, one of those chapters is going to be about how some of the really high flyers, particularly when it comes to growth stocks, smaller caps, technology stocks, some of those high flyers did come down a bit in 2014. Yeah, absolutely. And I think rightfully so. I mean, I think that uh, there's no reason for them not to pull back because the valuations were a bit out of touch uh, with the fundamentals of the business. And I think there's still some uh, you know some companies out there, some stocks out there today that that have valuations that are that are you know frankly scary. I mean, I uh, I think that now is probably a it's a good time to sort of take an inventory of what's in your portfolio. Consider building up a little bit of cash because you know earnings season can tend to be the time of volatility, and it's also volatility. You know, for us, is code for opportunity. I think in most cases, and it's not to say that these aren't good businesses. There's a difference between a good business at a great price, uh, you know, and a good business that that just is is not a great price right now. I mean, price does matter. Um, and so I think keeping an eye on some of those high flyers that have pulled back, uh, you know, there could certainly be some new opportunities coming here in the, in the next uh, few months. Two weeks ago, the National Academy of Science published a study. I don't think it'll shock anyone to say that I, I don't actually read, uh, nor do I subscribe to the National Academy of Science. Uh, so that's why I'm just learning about this study now, because the study was about Facebook. And apparently in January 2012, Some researchers at Facebook did a study on the number of positive and negative comments that users saw in their news feeds and their photo feeds, and and the positive and negative comments were altered, sort of the percentage that people saw. And the hook here, Jason, is that they did this with about 700,000 people on Facebook. They were chosen at random. These were people who did not give their consent prior. Facebook says, well, wait a minute. They gave their consent to research and analysis. <laughs> oh, when, the sneaky small When they writing. agreed to the site's terms of service. And now, look, Facebook stock is not getting sold off. But once again, the privacy dragon is rearing its head with respect to Facebook. And I'm wondering, as someone who studies that company, how bad is this for them? I feel so used. I mean, don't, I mean, honestly, I don't even know if this was ever I'm, – I'm uh, just a casual Facebook user, I guess. Uh, so, I don't know. I mean, I, I look at this – the thing that concerns me was in the statement here where it said, at the same time, we were concerned that exposure to friends' negativity might lead people to avoid visiting Facebook. So then my question is, so what? What are you going to do about that? Like, that t- that shouldn't mean anything. I mean, concerns aside, if if you determine that's the case – then what are you going to do about it? I mean, are you going to alter people's posts or change it or try to, you know, 
do something to to bring more people onto the Facebook platform. Uh, I mean, to me, that statement, at least to to you know some degree, implies a form of censorship in in, in some way. I mean, it, it, so I'm, I'm just very concerned, like with the the overall idea behind this, because if you're looking for just sort of an organic environment where people can interact, uh, I mean, what they apparently did here. The end doesn't necessarily justify the means. You understand what I'm saying? I'm mean, like, I, I, to me, I mean, I, I look at Facebook and I think, well, Facebook is great. They have this huge platform, 1.3 billion registered users, and that's wonderful. And, and that's an advantage as long as they're providing something that those users want. And, and as it stands today, users see it as a great place to to go interact with their friends or whatever. But I mean, you know, by the same token, it also, you know, Facebook. Even though they have this huge platform, it doesn't mean that they just are going to be able to do everything and be all things to all people. So, I mean, you've seen these flops, whether it's Facebook Home or Facebook Poke or whatever it may be. And I, I'm, I'm skeptical that this sling shot or sling chat or whatever they're trying to do uh, is is going to you know not take off as well. So, I mean, I don't know. For me, it certainly takes the the casual Facebook user, and it's just one more argument for me to not place all of my social media eggs in one basket. You know, I mean, I, I don't see why anyone would want to incorporate Facebook into every single thing that they do on a daily basis, especially when you see something like this. Taylor, just to wrap up on the study, that's what they found. They found that, hey, people who see more positive comments, they're going to write more positive comments. People who see more negative comments, they're going to write more negative comments. And so it does, to Jason's point, raise the possibility that, well, wait a minute, if you want, if you're Facebook and you want people not to get disgruntled with what they're seeing, then maybe you are going to be tempted to say, well, let's filter out some of the more negative comments and posts and photos and that sort of thing so that it's a happier experience. Mm -hmm. But, and I'm not a shareholder of Facebook, but I'm a little concerned about their use of the terms of service as their excuse here. Because I have no reason to doubt them that if you sign off on the terms of service, that I'm sure legally they are completely covered here. And yet, it's a little bit different from the terms of service with a, a service where you're transacting. So, for example, iTunes. Does anyone actually read the iTunes terms of service? I, I don't. I can't <laughs> you imagine could spend anyone your does. whole life reading terms of service Exa- if you yeah. really want exactly. to. Exactly. And so I just scroll through. I click that. Yes, but I'm not interacting. I'm occasionally giving iTunes my money right. because there's a song I might like or a movie I might want to buy or something like that. But in Facebook's case, that's uh, that's a little slipperier slope, I think. Yeah, I, I did read an interesting article about this saying that if it is considered a psychological study, they could be in some hot water because you have to give different forms of consent to be, take part in a psychological study like that. And if they're toying with people's emotions and trying to figure out how they can manipulate that, that that could be grounds for a lawsuit, but uh, that was just a, a passing phrase. I don't remember exactly what uh, form of law the guy practiced that made that quote, but it was interesting enough to see that, that that there could be a problem down the line. But they've had problems before, like we mentioned with privacy. They started producing in 2007 things you did off of Facebook, telling people what you were buying and things like that. That didn't last very long. You can't delete your account ever. You can you can uh, kind of shut it down, but it's still going li- to live on into perpetuity, at least as things stand now. So it's I hardly ever get on it, so I'm, I'm not thinking I was part of that study. I'm sure those 700,000 people were some more more of the active users, otherwise that wouldn't be a very significant sample. But uh, it worries me as far as 
just a, a person using the internet in general that a company of this size just brazenly does this and publishes it in probably a pretty well-respected journal um, where obviously not many people are reading it, but uh, it, with technology today and the way that you can spread word so quickly, everyone's going to find out about it. And I don't think that they uh, really took into account the backlash that could account for it. Again, the stock is not getting hit. No. So no. I, I think the thing to watch here is does this escalate from the standpoint of who apologizes? The right. researcher at Facebook has already come out and ap- written an apology uh, of course, on his Facebook page. Um, <laughs> I wonder how many people are going to see that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I saw a quote. Uh, it, it was not. I did not read the entire apology, but the section that I did read, that I did read, struck me as very much as one of those apologies where it's, "I'm sorry if anyone was offended," right. that kind of thing. Not, "I'm sorry I did this." But Jason, I will be very curious to see if this gains any kind of traction and it leads to questions on the next quarterly conference call or someone at a, of a higher authority who is apologizing. Maybe not. Maybe, well, maybe yeah, this just maybe, goes away. But yeah. Maybe not. I mean, maybe it, it did the, the statements certainly – I mean, it reeked of, I'm sorry I got caught versus I'm sorry we didn't mean to offend you. I mean, they, they obviously could have gone around – could have gone, gone about this a much different way. But then, I mean, who knows how it affects the, the you know validity of the study. I mean, I just think – there's just a lot of things that just really stink about this. I mean, I, you know, again, I mean, it, there is a point where Facebook is so big, and that's great, but they they're going to have, I think, some serious serious hurdles to clear here on the privacy side, and and that that from an investor's perspective, I mean, you know, I, I am a I am a bull on Facebook. I think that it is a good long term investment to hold, but I I think that you know th- there is a point. Where they have got to quit trying to be so many things to so many people and focus on their core competency, you know, instead of tacking on these other things and trying to be, uh, you know, Snapchat. I mean, don't focus on being Snapchat. Focus on being Facebook, right? And, and so I think that's that's kind of where the concern is today. And uh, yeah, I mean, this just one again. It's one more reason why. The casual Facebook user like like me, I mean, I'm never ever going to incorporate Facebook to be everything, uh, you know, that I, that I do in the course of a day because of things just like this. And what worries me is that they felt comfortable enough with it to publish it. Yeah, if they kept it in house, they probably would have felt a little bit more skeptical. But they're com- obviously completely okay with doing these kinds of things. Hopefully, this will serve as a very good lesson for you know other social networks. Sure, yeah, uh, out there, you know, I think really this is this is one where they could all learn from Facebook's mistakes. Self policing society, almost, yep. yeah. Finally, guys, it is a big week for the beer industry, arguably the biggest week for the beer industry. Uh, Beer sales in the United States this week, the week of 4th of July, are typically 30 to 40 percent higher than the average week. And the time from Memorial Day, so the end of May through the 4th of July, typically accounts for about a third of all beer sales in the United States. This is like... For the beer industry, what Thanksgiving through Christmas is for retailers. I, I mean, I, I would have just imagined that beer sales in the summer are higher. I didn't realize that this was Christmas A week third yeah. of their for the beer sales. industry. And Jason, you and I were talking about this earlier. When you break out the segments of the beer industry, you take the, the biggest guns out there, Anheuser-Busch, Miller Coors, the huge conglomerates. They're actually struggling a little bit, whereas the craft brewers, everyone from sort of the smaller players to the largest of the craft brewers, Sierra Nevada, Sam Adams, that sort of thing, they're they're actually doing well. 
and the big guys are are kind of swinging for the fences in the sense that they're rolling out things like citrus flavored beers and even margarita, margarita beers. flavored beers. Is that going to work? Is, I, is a Budweiser backed margarita beer going to work? I would venture to say that the person buying the Budweiser uh, margarita beer isn't really a beer drinker. I mean, that's just not beer, man. Come on, that's just that's not beer. That's just another <laughs> beverage. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you think you, you, interesting points there that you bring up about the dynamics of the beer industry because it really is it's a tale of two uh, two really different markets here. When you look at the overall domestic beer market, I mean that that's uh, it's somewhere in the neighborhood of a hundred billion dollars, and it just basically stays. It's a flat. Uh, sort of curve there. There's not really a lot of growth there. But when you look at the craft brew segment of the overall domestic market, I mean, over the past five years, the craft brew segment's grown at um, annualized 12% um, rate there. And it's it's going to grow, you know, at, at 10 to 12% here over the course of the next five years, if not more. Um, so, so while the, the overall market is relatively flat, you know the craft beer segment is really growing at a, at a nice pace there. Now, now a lot of that is because of the success of Boston beer. Um, I mean, Boston beer really, on its own, redefined the craft beer segment, um, which is just defined by the number of barrels that that a company would sell in any given year. Uh, but with that said, I mean, I think that we're seeing now a much more discerning beer drinker than we than we saw you know ten years ago, and I think that's great for beer for beer drinkers like me. I mean, it's it's awesome because you go out there and and there are all sorts of different choices. You know, the downside of that is. If you go to something like a Total Wine, you go to their craft brew segment, I mean, it literally is information overload. I mean, you almost don't know where to start or or what to get. And so then you kind of fall back on just relying on old faithfuls. And and so, you know, I think consequently Boston Beer realizes uh, some of the consumer behavior there. I think people say, hey, well, I know I like Samuel Adams Summer Ales. I'm going to buy that because that's that's a given quantity and I know when I like it. Uh, And I think it also explains why Boston Beer has – you know, pursued sort of at a methodical pace here, rolling out the cans uh, for their beer. I mean, this was something that they really put a lot of uh, thought into. And if you think I'm kidding, I mean, listen to some of these things. I was reading through just sort of their justifications or their explanation of how their can actually works. A wider lid provides more airflow, resulting in a slightly smoother taste. The opening is slightly further from the edge of the lid, making the opening closer to your nose and allowing more of the beer's aroma to reach your nose. An extended lip places beer at the front of your palate to maximize enjoyment of the malt sweetness of our Boston lager. And an hourglass ridge creates turbulence, turbulence, which pushes flavor out of the beer. So they obviously gave a lot of thought to this can. Narrated by Jason They Mercer. gave a lot of thought to this can here. But I mean, you know, when you have the seasonal summer ale, which does very well, and the Boston lager, which is just a year-round winner, I think that... Boston beer is still one of my favorite plays, really, in this segment. And all the scary thing, though, is what's the end game? You know, I mean, I, I, do you want what's to see the end this game company, for Boston yeah, beer? Or do what's, wanna, yeah, do you want to see this company acquired? I mean, I don't think you do. Well, that's that was going to be my question, Taylor. Is when I look at the beer industry and think about, and I know you've seen this in the energy industry that companies get to a point where they are so big, and how are we going to grow? Well, we're going to go out and buy it. We're going to acquire growth. AB Ambev. My gosh, how much growth is is going to come out of Budweiser? And so when I look at the smaller craft brews and their popularity, that seems like a natural extension. That seems like the natural next move. And maybe 
whether it's Boston Beer or Sierra Nevada, maybe there are others that just say, no, we, we're going to resist that. We don't want that. But if they're a publicly traded company, like like the Craft Brew Alliance, yep. Yep. which has Kona and Red Hook and that sort of thing, at some point, they may not have a choice. Agreed. And you see the like-mindedness amongst AB InBev and SMB Miller all coming out with these margarita beers and citrus beers at the same time. So clearly there's this mind meld going on where it's just not working because they all chased low price rather than taste craft beer chase taste it's a little bit more expensive but obviously doing very well because there's some differentiation there people can appreciate it they can have a favorite rather than just being able to go buy a Budweiser or a Coors and almost tasting the exact same there there's reasons that people are buying these beers and agreed that that's one of the options to go ahead and snap these guys up because they've got recipes that resonate with people obviously people are buying them more than they're buying Budweiser or Coors Light um, I'd be interested to see if these craft brewers do go that route because I think it might, you know, kind of alienate a lot of the people that buy their beer for the reasons that they aren't these people that are just trying to chase low price and provide the exact same product to everybody the globe around, the globe over. So, uh, I think it's a mentality in the craft brew market that they might not want to be such large corporate behemoths like these companies. And we've seen more consolidation in the non-alcoholic beverage space. When you oh, look yeah. at Coca-Cola yeah, was, and yeah. Pepsi and how they have methodically acquired brands locally here in the D.C. area, Honest Tea, which Coca-Cola took a stake in and then uh, over the last few years became the majority yeah. owner of as a way to sort of broaden their beverage portfolio because – Soda sales, traditional soda sales in the U.S. continue to decline. Yeah, and I think you know you look at these smaller beer players, and obviously the the biggest advantage I think that you have in this game is distribution, and that's why AB InBev and, and the like do so well. Um, I whether it exists or not, I think there is it there is a there's a perception out there at least that when these craft brews when these craft brewers are acquired by the big boys, you look at something like a Blue Moon or whatever. The perception is that the recipes are altered uh, ever so slightly to, in order to fit in better with sort of the the uh, the acquirer's you know production chain, make them and, cheaper, and accessibility to, to <laughs> ingredients, and, yeah, to, and to that. make them cheaper. <laughs> now, now whether that's a fact or not, I mean, you know, I, I read cases both ways, saying yes, yes, the recipes are changed, no, they're not. But there is a there is a perception out there that that's the case, and really with a consumer. Perception is everything. Whether it's reality or not, it, it doesn't matter. So all of a sudden, you look at something like a Blue Moon and you say, eh, man, I really like that better when it was just Blue Moon and, and not part of Molson Coors, I think is what, is what owns that now. Um, so that, that is sort of an interesting psychological hurdle that I think a lot of these, a lot of these uh, smaller brewers, the, these craft brewers need to keep in mind. And, and that's why I think in, in many cases, you see, th- see something like a Boston Beer or a Craft Brewer Alliance, much rather see them continue trying to make it on their own. What is a beer, as we wrap up beer week, <laughs> what is a beer you're going to buy this week? Um, I've been kicking around Loose Cannon uh, from Heavy Seas. It's a Baltimore-based brewery. and The uh, name of the beer is Loose Cannon? Yeah. It's That's delicious. a great name. It's, it's the, all their beers are pirate-themed, and uh, <laughs> it's pretty fantastic. You can't go wrong with pirate Yeah, theme. I just came across an Old Bay-flavored beer from Flying Dog oh, the other I've, day. Oh, I've heard of that, It's yeah. pretty hard to find, but I guess the Whole Foods down the street has it on tap, so... I tried a little taste. It wasn't overpoweringly Old Bay. I don't think I could drink a six-pack There's a of hint it. of Old Bay in it, though? Yeah. So, again, really... the name of the beer is Loose Cannon, and it's produced by who? Heavy Seas. Heavy Seas. Mm-hmm. I like it. Jason, what about you? Um, so, the Old Reliable is Samuel Adams Summer Ale, uh, but I am also a really big fan of Dogfish Head Aprihop. Uh, that is their their IPA. With it uh, has a little bit of a of apricot sort of spin to it. So, those are the two that will probably make their way to my fridge. There it is. What about you? Uh, I'm not a beer drinker. No, so that's I'll, right. Yeah, you get uh, so the. I'll I'll be uh, 
hitting the bourbon. You're the enemy of, of Budweiser and Miller Coors. Chris is more you know of a what? Diageo guy. They're, 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 there it is. They're, they can roll out citrus-flavored beers, margarita-flavored beers. They can even roll out a bourbon-flavored beer. And don't, don't bother. I'm, it's not, it, you're not going to draw me in. But as I frequently say when people say, wow, you don't drink beer, my response is always, that's okay. I drink enough of other things. Well, I saw Coors is, gonna try, or is rolling out a beer that they suggest drinking in a rocks glass to try and create that <laughs> atmosphere nice. of sipping on a fine spirit. All right, we'll see where that goes. Taylor Walker and Jason Moser. Guys, thanks for being here. Thanks. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Ann Henry. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.